Welcome to Getting In, a college coach conversation hosted by Elizabeth Heaton. On this show, the team of experts from Bright Horizons College Coach aim to demystify college admissions and finance. From choosing the right college, developing a payment strategy, creating a high school plan, and more. Each episode will help guide your family through the various steps of the process. Now, here is your host. Hello, everyone. This is Sally Gango, one of the hosts of Getting In. I hope everyone has had a wonderful July 4th holiday. You can tell now that we tape this ahead of time, since for the rest of you, it will have been a while ago. Um, today is going to be all about studying outside of your country. Our second segment will be about advice for American students who want to study outside of the U.S. Um, and my colleague Zaragoza Guerra will be joining me for this. He works with a lot of um, American students who apply everywhere. And the last segment will be about paying for college as an American attending college out of the country and international students attending college here in the U.S. And that'll be with one of my finance colleagues, Robin Stewart. But first, we're talking with Lauren Randall. And any of you who might be watching the video of this, you can see her um, on the screen. She's a colleague of mine and a former college counselor for the Canadian International School of Hong Kong. Um, and she has advice for international students who want to attend college in the U.S. So welcome, Lauren. Hi, Sally. Thanks so much for having me on today. Thanks so much for coming on. I mean, I remember when we hired you, um, well, the, <laughs> we tried to hire you before, but then when we got you later, I was so excited about your international experience because I think it's so valuable. So, yeah, um, I will I will just say kind of almost to toot my horn a little bit, but it made me such a better educator. Um, I, you know, I had the U.S. perspective, but living in Hong Kong and these students were from all over that lived in Hong Kong, but then were applying to colleges all over. So it really pushed me um, to learn about other systems and think about the international student experience within the U.S. in particular. In particular. Um, so it mm -hmm. was a great experience and professionally really rewarding. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, just being a college counselor at a domestic high school helped me. So for you, that's like to the nth degree, uh, even better. Um, so let's let's start with kind of the practical for students who are applying, you know, this fall. Um, what are some of the things that they really need to be thinking about? I mean, we're in July. Uh, the application system starts here much earlier than it does at most other countries, is my understanding. So, um, so yeah, like what are some things that they really need to be thinking about? Sure. Well, in some ways, it's really no different. If I were speaking, it's July. You know, if I were speaking to a student attending a U.S. high school or students abroad of what they should be doing right now, and that is really defining, refining, um, their, whittling down their college list. Um, but it's particularly tough for international students to engage in that type of research. You know, I think it's hard enough here um, of connecting with colleges, going to visit, but it's certainly harder when you're on the other side of the world. I think the one thing that has really changed in the last couple of years is a benefit for all. That when I lived in, in Hong Kong, virtual information sessions and tours were really not that common. Um, but now that is, that is the norm. Pretty much everybody offers it. So really in, using this time to to research your colleges, making sure that you have connected with them by registering for an information session and tour, by reaching out um, if there's optional interviews or if there's an alumni network within your um, home city. Connecting with those schools, again, demonstrated interest, connecting, learning more. That's really the same advice that I would give for a U.S. student, student at a U.S. Uh, high school or international student. Um, but I think it's particularly important to um, for students to do that now this summer because, you know, if they sometimes they are traveling, maybe they are taking holiday vacation um, that they can get on college campuses. Um, so that's, you know, front and center is narrowing down that list. Um, and I'd love to talk a little bit as well about the list because in my experience with international students, I think it's sometimes really different um, than what I see from U.S. students. We can get to that. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, so what are some of the specific ways they should connect with colleges, though? Like, I think, you know, there are the virtual information sessions, et cetera, yeah. but what should they do beyond that? 
I think one really important resource that students should be looking into is that many, many colleges will have an international student services center or office or department. Um, that is a key term here to be searching within their within the each individual college's website um, to connect with them. That is what they're there for is to answer your questions. They oftentimes have student ambassadors often by country or by region that you can ask targeted questions to, you know, what, how, why did you pick this college? What is the experience like as an international student? How are you supported? Is there um, a separate international student orientation? Um, all of those questions that you can be targeted directly to this office. If the school does not have an international student services office, I might take note of it because um, uh -huh. that might indicate how much um, that university or college is is um, the, re the type of resources they are dedicating or not um, to their international student population. If that professional office is not available, then I would go to clubs and organizations within the college. Oftentimes there are international student clubs or organizations, um, often by region um, or, or, or country or territory. Um, so these are great ambassadors, even though they're not officially working for the university, to ask their experience. What was your transition like? How do you, how do you get to and from the airport, um, mm -hmm. you know, on, on your own? What does my packing list need to look like? What just any sort of specific questions asking current students is going to be, really be invaluable for particularly for international students. Mm hmm. And I think I think that's important to emphasize when I talk to families, I don't work with a lot of families from overseas, but a good number of the families that have come recently to the U.S., they don't really see the point in all this research. You know, they kind of they're like, well, my son should adapt. This is the best school. We want to go to the best schools. So I'm just kind of curious if you could kind of talk from your own experience about why some of this fit the issue of fit is going to be important also to an international student and frankly, maybe even more so. Yeah, I agree with you. I think that sometimes in, in the initial stages, it can be mm -hmm. hard. I've had some difficulty um, employing that concept of fit outside mm -hmm. of just pure academics. And mm -hmm. what is the best college for being a biology major? What's the best college for being an engineer major? Um, and it can be harder to get to that next level of you say, well, your student is going to live at this place for the next four years. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a very big difference between studying in Albany versus Albuquerque, right? And mm -hmm. so, it, and I understand, like, that can be really overwhelming if you're not overly familiar with the geography of the United States. Um, but really thinking about how, I mean, truly, it comes down, that impacts whether or not you buy winter jackets or not. Um, you know, your packing list and living there um, is good is going to be really different based on the geography of where you're living. And that's just one element is geography. But really think, you know, I think transportation is huge. If you are not directly in a city, how do you get? And I know, you know, public transportation in other countries is often a lot better than it is in the U.S. Mm -hmm. outside of cities. So how do you get to that campus if you fly into the airport or what is the closest airport? What is the travel? Where do you connect to get home? Um, you know, the U.S., we have several breaks. If, for example, are you going to be able to make it back to your home country during the American Thanksgiving break? It's not particularly long, um, but, you know, what will that feel like if you are the only, or not the only student, but uh, one of few students on campus as everybody's leaving? Um, so asking again, you know, thinking through that of what that's going to feel like, look like for your particular experience um, is is really important research and or at least food for thought to think as you're as you're finalizing your list. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the cultural fit too, right? Like, I mean, if you want to, if it's important to you to attend a mosque or a Hindu temple or something like that, and there is none around, that is probably going to be challenging, that sort of thing too. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So let's, um, let's kind of back out from this. I mean, I think we've already talked about, we've addressed 
um, kind of some of the biggest challenges of studying in the U.S. from abroad um, that people may not have thought about. So I'm just wondering if you if there are any more that you can think of. Well, challenges from studying uh, coming in from abroad, um, I think in terms of the application um, it, itself, I think some students or just maybe the process in itself, I think it's really confusing for a lot of students. In other countries, it's very straightforward. You have to know what you want to study. There's not really this undecided time that you get um, in the United States at in many colleges where you have two full years to figure out what you want to study before declaring that. Um, that's not all cases, but it can be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's just a really different concept um, for compared to other countries. So that that time and space of thinking about exploration and what are core requirements? You know, did you ha- did you know that in certain schools you're going to have to take a philosophy course? Does that mm-hmm. interest you or not? Um, so really helping students understand that first two years can be confusing um, or just different um, in terms of educational philosophy within the U.S. Um, in terms of the application process, again, in other places, it is so straightforward. You tell me your grades, you tell me your national exam score and what you want to study, and I'll tell you if you're in or you're out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so helping families understand the nuance behind holistic review um i think it's confusing for u.s families but Mm -hmm. it's really confusing um for international families where they say well i meet the metrics i meet the published test score i meet the published what more do you need um and in some places it's just not that common to engage in lots of extracurricular activities or things beyond academics um Mm -hmm. so that can be another difficult concept to understand of what U.S. universities are looking for in terms of holistic admission. Mm-hmm. Um, what about, like, what would you say then are the biggest rewards? Well, I think a lot of the rewards here are maybe, like, we don't have a crystal ball, right, for any any student going through college. Um, I think, in my experience, some of the unexpected um, rewards for international students in particular, is that the pathway is not always straight and narrow. You don't necessarily start in as an engineering major and end that way. And that's a beautiful blessing that you can have that time to figure it out um, at at a university in the U.S. Um, And you can double major or explore new interests. Um, And that's not always the case in a lot of other places. You know, if you change your mind, well, you're out of luck or you start over. Um, so I think it offers students, I, I think a big reward is that flexibility that's, that international students maybe aren't necessarily used to or accustomed to, um, but it can be really rewarding. Think big picture of, of how you want to develop as a human being um, mm-hmm. and explore you know, interests and talents that maybe you didn't even realize that you had. Mm-hmm. I also think that the sort of social life that surrounds American universities can be very, very rich. Um, I think, I mean, obviously, a lot, there's some of the overseas universities have a lot going on as well. But I think, you know, it really, it's so accessible to everyone uh, in the U.S. And I think that's great. Absolutely. And to that point, just going back to really looking through what the organizations and clubs are at particular colleges. So if you're not the type that normally gets involved outside of school, I mean, we got to be clear here, you spend more time outside of the class than you do inside the class. So mm-hmm. how are you going to engage in that college campus? What do you need to feel comfortable? Is it people from your home country? Is it people with similar interests? You know, what is it? Is it going to be something totally new? Um, you know, what is it going to be for you to to feel happy, safe, comfortable and engaged um, for those four years when you're outside the classroom as well? Mm hmm. What do you think has been most surprising for international students about the U.S. system of higher ed? Is it any of the things we've already discussed, or is there anything else that comes to mind that has really surprised people? Well, I mean, I, I think, again, the being undecided is normal and common and okay. Um, that's mm-hmm. a surprise. Um, you know, holistic mission is a surprise or something to understand. Mm-hmm. I'll, if I can answer the question from 
my biggest surprise of working with international mm -hmm. students sometimes is around their college list um, where they really say, well, okay, they can study in the U.S., but only for their reach schools. They kind of have, they, they use the U.S. as, I'm going to apply to every Ivy, and if not, we're going to attend our home, you know, public option. Um, so that's kind of been a surprise to me of saying, well, do you either want the U.S. education or not? Because it can often be a very different experience and philosophy of education. Again, so that's always been a surprise to me that I, I feel like there are a lot of families that think of the U.S. as their reach destination um, and their home country as their plan B, which I don't know, good or bad, but that's just been a surprise for me. Yeah, yeah, I know. I always encourage families to think about what do you want? And then we can find that at a whole variety of levels of selectivity. And that seems to be a challenging concept to kind of wrap your mind around. And then I, I kind of feel like, well, maybe you don't really want to go overseas if, you, if it's not worth it, you know, unless it you go be. to an Ivy. <laughs> so something right. to think about. So, all right. Any sort of last thing um, to wrap up with, either advice for um, seniors, rising seniors right now, or kind of in a broader sense for students who are thinking about studying abroad eventually? Yeah, I, I I mean, I guess, again, where I started and where I'm ending is, is mm -hmm. not really any different for U.S. students versus international students of now is the time. Start now. You have more writing than you possibly realize. I think that's mm -hmm. the other thing. The concept of writing different essays for different schools, that was also new for mm -hmm for my international students. So I, they did not allow themselves enough time to really do the application as thoroughly as needed. So start now, that would mm -hmm. be my, but I guess that's my advice for anyone. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Yeah, it is. But hopefully the international students will really hear it. So, all right, Lauren, well, thank you so much. Absolutely, Sally, it's always great chatting with you. All right, so we're going to take a break now, but when we return, we'll be speaking with Zaragoza Guerra, a college coach colleague, uh, when we return. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. College admissions can be stressful. But Bright Horizons College Coach is here to help. Our college experts who worked in admissions and financial aid at some of the nation's most selective institutions offer ethical, customized assistance based on each student's individual strengths and interests. Students receive one-on-one -on -one guidance throughout the process, and our 100% success rate means all of our students have been accepted to college. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now... Back to the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back. Um, I'm happy to say that my colleague Zaragoza is here. For those of you who are actually watching the recording, um, you'll see Zaragoza smiling at me, which is very nice. Um, always great to see a colleague. And Zaragoza, thank you so much for coming on to talk, to give advice for American students who want to go to college outside the U.S., yeah, Sally, glad to be here and glad to cover this topic. Mm -hmm. I, I actually have a student. I actually have a student this year who's like, I mean, he's looking in Scotland, he's looking in England. We were talking about Ireland. It's pretty exciting, and so I definitely want to take advantage of your expertise, personally as well as on the podcast. So, um, so let's think about kind of uh, broadly who should consider attending college outside the U.S. Do you think? Yeah. I would say this is, you know, an interesting question because there are a number of reasons for, for wanting to study abroad and wanting to go to a, a university abroad. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for U.S. students to pick a study abroad program within mm -hmm. their U.S. university and spend a year abroad. Um, but I think, you know, for those students who might want to spend more time, uh, mm -hmm. more than just a year, uh, 
you know, this is an opportunity for them to, you know, really immerse themselves in a, you know, three, four year experience. And so I would say for those students who, you know, can't get enough of it, (laughs) who want more than just, you know, a semester abroad or a year abroad, uh, this might be their opportunity. I think, you know, there are other reasons, you know, besides just wanting to study abroad, there are, I think, some differences between U.S. universities and international universities when it comes to uh, focusing in on one's major or one's Mm -hmm. course of study. When you think about U.S. universities, your major is going to comprise two to three years of your four years of study, and then the other year or two is going to be spent taking core requirements or distribution requirements. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, that's pretty different from a lot of universities abroad where uh, you immerse yourself in your course of study. So if you wanted to study biology, that's what you're studying rather than taking English classes and world language class and a lot of those other core requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, You are essentially, you know, able to immerse yourself within a particular topic. And I think that might be appealing for some U.S. students uh, to be able to do that. Um, Yeah, so I I think those are, you know, some really great reasons. You know, it Mm -hmm. could also be that a student wants to learn another language and, um, you know, one year abroad might not quite do it for some and they might Mm -hmm. uh, want a few more years uh, immersing themselves in a language. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually, I think that um, it's good to think about the additional challenges too. Like I think for some students, doing a focus three years is really attractive, but there are some, um, some, I feel like international universities don't sort of take care of their students in the same way that American students do, for example. What's, what's your take on that? It could be a little bit different. I, I did a year abroad um, at an international university, and you know my American experience, my U.S. experience was much different than mm-hmm. um, what I had seen, I think. You know, with my American experience, it was a a heck of a lot more of a residential experience and people Mm -hmm. lived on campus. Uh, You uh, not just went to classes with people, you you lived with them and uh, there was that residential component. And I didn't necessarily find that uh, at Mm -hmm. my uh, uh, abroad campus. Uh, It was still a wonderful experience. It was just different. And I Mm -hmm. think some... Students might encounter that. I think, um, you know, there is, at least with a lot of U.S. schools, that residential component that you might not necessarily always find. That's not to say that you're not going to find it abroad, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily going to be common throughout throughout the world, so to say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Even American schools abroad. I remember talking to an admission officer from the American School of Paris, and he said, mm-hmm you know, the students should be, need to be more independent. It, you know, we're very American in terms of our curriculum, but we're influenced by Paris and you're going to like probably be living in a tiny little student grotto. You're not going to be in a dorm, you know, those sorts of things. And so a lot more independence is really going to be required and no football games, by the way. I mean, the original football, <laughs> which is we call soccer. <laughs> so Exactly. So you're, you're not necessarily going to find those soft experiences that you find on an American campus in terms of like kind of that raw, raw spirit. Uh, Again, that's not always Mm going to be the case. Um, But I I think, uh, you know, uh, uh, university experience in the U.S. is quite distinctive in that regard, Mm -hmm. I'd say. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what are some of the most common destination countries that, um, you know, if a student is thinking about studying abroad, what might be like a good couple first places to look? You know, there is a a study that's done every year by um, IIE um, that it's called an Open Doors Report that um, tracks where uh, U.S. students go to study abroad and where international students come uh, to the U.S. And, you know, the three top places that it's tracking for U.S. students to, to study abroad are the U.K., not surprisingly, because they speak English there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Italy and Spain, th- those were oh. all three tied. Now, I, I believe this is mostly tracking 
um, those uh, American universities that have study abroad programs. So I'm not sure there's a report out there that tracks where uh, Americans go or U.S. students go, mm-hmm. uh, specific international universities, so to speak. With that, I'd probably say, you know, when I'm working with students, oftentimes um, the places that they're telling me they want to, to try out would be the U.K. and Canada uh, mm-hmm. for the most part, at least in my personal experience in, in, in terms of working with students. Those are the, the, the big places. Yeah, and, yeah. And I've had, um, you know, a lot of students, you know, looking at Toronto, uh, McGill, UBC, Oxford, St. Andrews, Imperial, um, you know, those seem to be kind of the big ones that I've seen uh, a lot of my students um, Mm -hmm. try out. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I've also sent students to University of Edinburgh. Uh, if you want a more urban experience in St. Andrews and Trinity College, which because hello, it's in Dublin. How cool is that? Is what like it is. Say. So. Absolutely. I, I, I'm uh, taking a trip down to Dublin and we'll definitely be taking a look there. I, I, I did it once a couple of years ago. Uh, so it was absolutely wonderful place to to visit. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. So what are some differences between the, I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier when I was talking with Lauren, but like, what should American students be aware of if they are looking at these overseas schools, like either in terms of the application itself, in terms of their experience when we get there, we already touched on the sense of community that can be different, but Mm -hmm. anything else? Yeah, I, I would say, you know, with the admissions process, they're there are going to be some differences. Some places give conditional offers rather than mm-hmm. outright ad- admission office offers. Um, mm-hmm. Oftentimes they might want to see how a student does uh, in terms of their uh, testing on AP exams before they finalize that, that admissions decision. So that's something that you might expect to see. There could be, you know, as I said, in terms of differences, um, when one is thinking about immersing themselves within their course of study. Um, You're not going to see probably as many core requirements or distribution requirements um, uh, abroad than that you would see here in the U.S. Oftentimes that's because a lot of those core requirements get taken care of on the secondary level rather than Mm -hmm. the tertiary level um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of places. And so be expected to really know what it is that you want to study um, before getting to a college or, or university. I think here in the U.S., um, there's that expectation that you can decide when you get to college what it is that you want to study, and there's room to to change your major um, because oftentimes your first year spent taking those core requirements, which are going to get applied to any major. Mm-hmm. When you're going abroad, you probably should know what it is that you want to study and uh, be expected that you know if you change your major, that could add time to your, mm-hmm. your stay there. Um, mm-hmm. And I would also say that seasons, you know, let's think about, you know, Southern Hemisphere versus Northern sem- Hemisphere. Um, the scheduling could be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not always going to be the same. Australia <laughs> has <Yeah>. a different <laughs> calendar than we do. Um, I would say that there are also going to be um, differences in terms of uh, your expected stay. There's some places where uh, you're getting your degree in three years rather than four years. Mm-hmm. That's always a possibility. And then there's language. Um, you know, there are certainly going to be certain places where the language of instruction is going to be in another language, not necessarily in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very important to be ready for that. On the other hand, what an experience. You're going to come out of there completely fluent. So, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it is, you know, something that um, students should also consider is that um, there are a lot of international universities where instruction is in English. OK. Right. And so um, if a student is not doesn't necessarily have um, those absolute strengths in a world language, um, you know, I, I'd encourage them to consider those international uh, universities where um, uh, instruction happens to be in English. And it doesn't necessarily have to be in an English-speaking country. So, for instance, Maastricht University in Mm -hmm. the Netherlands or John Cabot in Rome or Stockholm University, uh, National University of Singapore, University of Hong Kong, um, 
a technical university in Munich. So all of these places are going to be offering instruction in English, mm-hmm. um, even though they might not necessarily be American universities. And then there are going to be some of those American universities, like you talked about earlier, um, where obviously instruction would be in English, like American University in Paris or in Dubai or Bulgaria. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'm i very happy with where I went to college, but my one regret is that I didn't at least do study abroad. Although, to be fair, I had done a gap year abroad, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I did have that. But my French would be better if I'd forced myself to study in it a little bit more. So um, what do you think are the biggest surprises for students, though? Like, we've talked about some of the differences, and is there anything that we haven't talked about yet? Maybe we've covered it all, but that really does mm-hmm. surprise students? Yeah, you know, I would I would say that um, it would be that there are some U.S.-based um, schools that have campuses abroad. You know, mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we did talk about the surprise that there are some international universities with English instruction and there are some American universities, um, full-fledged American universities abroad, but there are also some um, American schools that have a base mm-hmm. here in the U.S. that have a, a campus abroad. You know, I'm thinking uh, Texas A&M with their campus in uh, Qatar, and there's also NYU, which has uh, a number of campuses. So it, it might, you know, the surprise might be that it might not be necessary to completely apply in a uh, a, a, a a program that's absolutely completely distinct from the U.S. You could be applying to something a little bit more familiar, which happens to have a campus abroad. And that might be easier on some students, mm-hmm. I would say. And I was wondering, I mean, that might address potential downsides of getting your degree overseas, right? I mean, I think if you go to NYU Shanghai, they're going to mm-hmm. understand kind of getting a job in the U.S. They're going to have the full-fledged career advising service, I would imagine, that most campuses have. Because I could see that as a downside if you've gotten your degree overseas at a non-American school. Yeah, the downside would be probably that counseling and you know, postgraduate counseling in terms of trying to find a job here back in the U.S. Um, mm-hmm. That's not to say that you wouldn't be able to do that. Um, you know, there are some programs, even for uh, engineers, mm-hmm. you know, there's something called the um, Washington Accord, which allows uh, engineers to work globally. So if your international university is a part of that uh accreditation is a part of the Washington Accord, you can take that degree. Um, There's some mobility with it uh, Mm -hmm. to be able to uh, be an engineer in all (laughs) kinds of places. Um, You know, the one thing to to be mindful of is that, you know, at least here in the States, your undergraduate degree doesn't necessarily serve as a credential into a profession. It's, Mm -hmm. uh, there are some um, particular degrees or majors that do, such as engineering or nursing mm-hmm. or architecture, but the vast majority of, of majors, you can, you know, seek out any kind of graduate work um, anywhere, you know, for the most part. Um, but engineering, that, that's always, you know, for a, a lot of math and science students, that's probably going to be the biggest downside is that they are worried, hey, you know, will this transfer over, you know, will I get accredited as, mm-hmm. um, or, or, or get credentialed as an engineer? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's a good point. Like medical school, for example, in the U S is so different. If you, in other countries, it's often an undergraduate degree essentially. Um, but that's not going to fly here in the U S you're going to run into some issues. Um, or and law. Even, yeah, yeah, exactly. So you need to look really carefully depending on the profession. You can't even really do pre-med in other countries based on what I've heard from our colleague who used to work in medical school admissions. She said though that the exception to that is Canada. You can do mm-hmm. pre-med sciences mm-hmm. in a Canadian college or university, but not beyond that, I don't think. So Well, you know, if you think about it, you know, even here in the US, you know, oftentimes medical schools are looking at some of those pre-med requirements. And as we said, when you're mm-hmm. studying abroad, you don't have the core. Oftentimes you're studying a particular um, course of study rather mm-hmm. than a broad set of, of classes um, to begin with. And so if your medical school wants to see physics 
and chemistry mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, upper level math and all you're studying is biology, well, that's mm-hmm. probably not going to fly considering mm-hmm. that that's, you know, something that they do want to see. And mm-hmm. you're able to do that here in the U.S. You might not necessarily be able to do that abroad. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say, by the way, that I'm not arguing that our system is better. And I think there are systems where I'm like, that would probably work better than what we do. But this is simply what it is here in the U.S. Yeah, I, I agree with you, Sally. <laughs> I, I look at all of the options and, you know, as an adult and think back, oh, I wish I could have done that. Or I, I wish I could have done that one and that one and that one. You only get one, <laughs> <Yeah>. one life, <laughs> right? But I'm pretty sure within the multiverse, I'm attending quite a number of these universities. Exactly. I see myself. There is a Saragossa out there in the multiverse attending the University of uh, Salamanca. I'm, I'm absolutely positive of that. Yeah, <laughs> that sounds like a very good idea. <laughs> so, All right. Well, I think that wraps it up. Thank you so much, Saragossa. You're welcome, Sally. My absolute pleasure. All right, everyone, we'll be back in just a couple of minutes to talk to Robin Stewart about funding all of this education overseas. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. When it's time to go through the college admissions process, look to Bright Horizons College Coach for ethical guidance and customized support. Our educators will get to know your students' ambitions and talents, help highlight hard-won achievements, and create a plan for getting into a top-choice school. That plan includes helping your student choose classes and extracurriculars, create a college list, brainstorm and edit essays, and navigate college financing options. Visit GetIntoCollege.com to learn more. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Getting In, a college coach conversation. To submit a question for an upcoming listener Q&A segment or to suggest an idea for a future segment, please send an email to gettingin.voiceamerica at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everyone, and welcome, Robin Stewart. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, Sally. It's really great to see you. All right. So what we want to do now is we're going to dig into, we've been talking about international students studying in the U.S. We've been talking about U.S. students studying outside the U.S. How does any of this get paid for if you're not (laughs) in the 1%? (laughs) Let's let's dig into that. Good question. Okay, a lot to talk about, and I have a feeling we're going to flip-flop back and forth. Um, And so just to define um, for purposes of our conversation today, when I'm talking about international students, it's not only, you know, the F1 student visa holders Mm -hmm. or scholars. We're talking anybody who's here. So if mom and dad have a work visa, you're considered an international student. Um, There's resources available. I know there's sort of I don't want to say a myth, because in some cases it's very much true, and I have a feeling we're going to talk about it, where you might see something on a website that says along these lines, if a student's able to pay full price for for college, you should really consider doing so with family funds. However, um, there are resources available. I would say the majority of the way that an international student pays for a school here in the U.S. would be institutional aid or merit scholarships, so the school's own money. And then, you know, kind of after that, family funds. If if you are going to look for that scholarship dollars, right, there is some available, whether from the college itself or private, outside, external scholarships. But it does require some work, and it also requires that the family sort of address that question of selectivity. So, and I know you have this conversation with the families that you work with, you know, if you are looking at certain schools in the U.S. and you're hoping for some assistance, depending on those schools, there may be none available, right? If I'm Princeton or an Ivy League school, you know, um, I don't have to work very hard to recruit applicants, so I don't have to offer merit scholarships, which also happen to be the kind of money an international student might 
be able to take advantage of. So it's a decision a family has to make. Mm-hmm. You know, many things drive this process, right? Cost is one of many factors, but for some families, it's a pretty important factor. Mm-hmm. And, you know, everyone, even the 1%, has to pay their bill. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I, um, I mean, I used to work at Whittier College, uh, which was a college that admitted, I don't know, around 80% of those who applied. I'm not sure exactly where they are now, but they're still accepting a good, good majority of those who apply. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we had international students coming with scholarships. I don't think anybody got a full ride, but there were, it was much cheaper than it would have been for some of these students to, um, say, go to University of Chicago, where we actually did offer some aid to international students, but boy, was it hard to get. I mean, you, like, it's already hard to get in and then to be one of the few international students who actually got aid. And this was at a college that funded everybody else, right? Every domestic student got full aid. They might not get a scholarship, but their need was fully met. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that was always, you know, notable to me. Yeah, it is tricky, right? If you're that international student who's applying to a school like University mm-hmm. of Chicago and you are eligible, so all the stars kind of have to align right. and you get in. Um, I know from, you know, working with families, another conversation that they really have to have is, okay, if I apply to a school and I'm eligible for aid, Um, do I want to take the chance that my admission application will be looked at through a different lens where it might be harder to get in because it is a school that's committing 100% to all students once they're accepted Mm -hmm. to meet their eligibility. So it is a conversation I think that a lot of families really have to understand up front as they kind of, you know, make their list and work through the process. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because for a domestic student, I always say apply for aid if you need it, because there's going to be enough schools that will like it's it's relatively few schools right. that will not admit you that are going to be need aware. Right. But for international students, the equation definitely changes. So. Yep, that's true. Absolutely. And the other thing, too, that I always like to let families know is. You know, you don't want to. Well, this would be international or domestic. I think it's good advice for anybody. You know, don't apply and say you don't need the assistance if you truly can't afford it. Yeah. With international students, you want to read the fine print and make sure you understand that if you don't apply during that first year, and this is the case at the various schools, you may be shut off from institutional aid in subsequent years. So deadlines, of course, are important, but also the fact that you even filed in that first mm-hmm. year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, what is the declaration of finances? That's a term that I don't I don't even know what it is, but I've heard it before. So I was hoping you could explain it for That's international patriotic, students. Right? Yeah, exactly. Um, so this this applies specifically to students who are coming here on an F one student visa. For the most, I'll say for the most part, a lot of times, right? It depends. I know from working with some families where. Um, dad might have been on a work visa, for example. They also had to demonstrate finances. But in this in this context here, it's a document that the school is going to require in order to issue what's called the I-20. Every student, in order to get the I-20 issued, will need to have submitted certain documents. And they all need to be, you know, sort of liquid, right, within 48 hours. Bank statements are acceptable, um, a letter from a sponsor, paperwork from a loan from a lender. It could even be a financial aid offer or letter from the school, Um, cash saving bank accounts. So that all counts as acceptable documentation. Okay, so it is a lot, but you want to make sure you're checking with the school because they may say it needs to be in English right? Or it needs to be notarized or certified. It needs to have your currency on there or the um, equivalent, right, of what it would be in U.S. dollars. So you want to make sure and certainly reach out to, and it's actually the admissions office who handles this process, even though, you know, we're talking finances here. Um, Colleges, so this is up front before a student is actually accepted. Colleges may require proof of funding in subsequent years as well. It's just something that I like students to know. Um, But for the I-20, it's all about this documentation, the declaration of finances. Mm -hmm. 
And what are some of the resources available to help a family pay for college? Okay. Well, as we talked about need-based aid, potentially, Mm -hmm. but I'd probably put that lower on my list. Um, Again, for international students, merit aid or merit scholarships, so money that the school is giving to the student for specific reasons, academics, special student populations, and that's going to vary depending on what the school thinks is special, right? (laughs) Um, Skills, abilities, you know, many of the same reasons that a domestic student would be eligible for this type of resource. And, you know, this is, again, one of the challenges for international students. You think money and scholarships, you automatically want to call and contact the financial aid office. It's actually the admissions office you want to be interacting with about these opportunities, keeping in mind the question of selectivity that we discussed where, you know, at certain schools, these resources just don't exist. Mm -hmm. Um, Beyond that, private scholarships, right? So external from the college, not restricted to U.S. citizens or permanent residents. Um, I want to put a plug in for our blog. I know over the years we've written several posts about different scholarship opportunities. So if someone wants a little inspiration to get started, um, we have some some information there. Uh, Additionally, we do also have a... um, It's a video series on YouTube for tips for financing your U.S. education. So people can check that out as well for some more information. But private scholarships would be another way. It's it's merit, but it's coming from outside of the college. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. All right. Just because I don't want to run out of time, let's switch to U.S. students studying outside. So what are some of the college finance challenges for U.S. students who want to go outside the U.S.? Okay. Yeah, I think, I know there's so much to talk about. So the U.S. students, I think the common question is, and these are families who, you know, have been saving much longer than the international students. So they're aware of college costs and have come to this um, decision that they're going to look at schools overseas. They want to know if what they've saved here in the U.S. can be used overseas. I think that's probably Mm -hmm. the first question. And they want to understand if the school that they're looking at is on the list of schools that's maintained by the U.S. Department of Education that's eligible to administer federal funds. If the school's there, then yes, they can use, and it's a very popular vehicle, a college-specific account, the 529 plan, been Mm -hmm. around for like 35 years. So you can use all that money that you've been hard at work saving for this education. Um, merit aid is still a thing, right? Just like it is here in the U.S., it's still a thing overseas. Likely less, or I should say overall less than here, um, usually tied to more programs of studies or testing. You know, a student got a certain score on their SATs, there's a corresponding dollar amount. More selective schools, I would say, overseas sort of have the merit programs than just a general you know, here, here's what we can offer all students. And of course, private scholarships as well. There's scholarships for U.S. students who choose to study overseas for college. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. And can students work while they're yeah. studying abroad? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, it's one of those, it depends, right? <laughs> it depends. So it depends on the country, depends on your student visa. So maybe, right? Um, and certainly working is a great way to earn money for indirect expenses, you know, your laundry detergent, going out with friends, it may be limited to working only during um, summer or like vacation periods, not during term time. So that's one thing. But the best practice, Sally, really is to contact the international student advisor or office on that campus. Because when you start kind of looking at working, you're looking at immigration um, you know, regulations and, and you, you don't want to be out of status and get into trouble there. So it depends. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so can somebody borrow a loan for college overseas? A overseas. student. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's, so it's a little bit easier than an international student borrowing for education here, which is possible, a little more difficult. U.S. students, it's a little bit easier Um, You know, they're a U.S. student. They may be looking at a U.S. lender to apply the money overseas. Um, I have found that the international school typically needs to have some sort of relationship with that U.S.-based lender. 
Um, first step would always be to check out the like student finance office or payment center. They'll have a listing there, not only about parent loans, right, or the student loans. So again, that list of schools that the U.S. Um, Department of Ed maintains, students can also borrow that direct loan that they're able to use here in the U.S., borrow it and fill out the FAFSA, borrow it and use it overseas. So it is still possible to finance your education. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth noting, too, that a lot of overseas schools are much less expensive, even though mm-hmm. it's uh, more expensive for U.S. students than the domestic students of that country. Yeah, it can be still cheaper than even like a, pu- a typical public university here. Right. Yeah. And it could be a three year degree. Right. Some of the mm-hmm. kids that we work with are looking at schools in countries where it's three years. I usually say just for anyone kind of listening in, um, it's the equivalent of like an out of state public. Right. So nationwide mm-hmm. here in the U.S., about forty three, forty four thousand dollars or so kind of go with that. You know, it's not going to be the eighty thousand private Mm. institution cost here in the U.S. It's not going to be your in-state public where you get that discount, Mm -hmm. but sort of somewhere in that out-of-state public. Okay. And I think, didn't Germany a few years ago say that they were going to be free for everybody, not just their own students? Right. I remember reading that. Yeah, it's that could have changed um, by now, yeah, right? Yeah, Things <laughs> change all the time. But yeah, there are certain countries where even for inter- U.S. students going there, you know, international students overseas, um, there are big discounts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought was really quite exciting. So I think it is worth it for students to take a look, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, any last comments, even for either for international students studying in the U.S. or U.S. Stu- students studying outside the U.S.? Um, oh, I forgot to yeah. ask you, oh, sure. can international students in the U.S. work while they're in college? International students, sort of, it depends. Again, there are certain programs with that F-1 student visa where you can work up to 20 hours um, during school and more during school break periods. Always, always, always check in with the international student officer on campus so you're maintaining good status um some schools though i know one of my one of the new co-workers on um the finance side she worked at a school she was telling me where they had an international student work study so it it wasn't federal work study but it was a way to help students earn money for you know those indirect expenses who weren't eligible for the federal program so Mm -hmm. some schools do have neat pockets like that but as far as anything else you know, that international student officer is for you. And they're a great kind of starting point for any of these cost type mm-hmm. questions. Mm-hmm. All right. Great. Robin, thank you so much for oh, sharing on the show. So. My All pleasure. Right, Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. So everyone be sure to join us next week when our host Beth Heaton and finance colleague Shannon Vasconcelos will be answering listener questions And please remember to rate us on iTunes. You can find us every Thursday, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Voice America and also on YouTube. And have a great week. Thank you for tuning in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and the team of experts at Bright Horizons College Coach. Join us again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.